0: Let's start the show. It's January 10th, 2013. Welcome to This is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. I'm Will Smith. Well, Norman, and Joey are still at CES, and Gary's out sick, so I'm going to do something a little unusual today. I'm here today to tell you guys, all by myself, for the next you know, however long this takes, the truth about what I really think about CES. You see, the fundamental problem with CES is the same one that plagues American politics today. It's a trade show environment. The press has traditionally considered unfair to actually criticize anything that anyone tosses out at the show, no matter how silly. After all, the products are pre-release, they're being demoed in a hostile EMI environment, and as long as the demo seemed feasible, we, members of the press, have given vendors the benefit of the doubt, at least while we're at CES. I'm as guilty as the next guy. Over the years, I've objectively reported about dozens of ridiculous ideas masquerading as tech demos uh, that never had the slightest chance of, you know, working in the real world. I'm talking about everything from Wi-Fi VoIP phones to 120 inch TVs, to streaming devices completely lacking ecosystems, to LCD windows, to hopeless DRM screen schemes like Ultraviolet, to Android 3.0 demos that were really just video loops, all the way down to forks that tell you when you're eating too fast. In the old days, I think vendors who paid their money and brought their consumer electronics to Vegas actually had good intentions most of the time to go along with their crazy ideas. But in the last few years, I've started to suspect that vendors were taking advantage of the benefit of the doubt. And I don't like that. I'm done giving silly ideas the benefit of the doubt. Here's what I really think about CES 2013 so far. I'm gonna start with the TVs. No one is talking about 3D anymore. 3D on TVs is done. I say good riddance. Even the more comfortable passive glasses were still obnoxious for the 64, 65% of Americans who wear glasses, you know, like me. You can only watch 3D in a perfectly dark room. Conditions have to be just right. The movie has to be just strike. Right. God forbid you have to turn a lamp on, it's terrible. I'm only comfortable watching 3D in the theaters or, you know, even better, not at all. Good riddance, 3D, I bid you adieu. Smart TVs, on the other hand, don't seem to be going anywhere. They're still dumb, The user user interfaces universally suck, and the apps are third-rate versions of the ones available on bigger platforms. But TV manufacturers are still trying to get people excited about apps on their TV, and it just isn't going to happen. Why do they keep pushing? I have a couple of theories. One is that the manufacturers perceive apps the same way they did 3D, as another potential feature that people might want just enough, or be suckered into wanting enough, to encourage you to buy their brand instead of someone else's, or maybe, just maybe buy a new TV sooner rather than later. This illustrates to me that TV manufacturers have absolutely no idea why most people buy new TVs. Here's what I really think. Most people buy a new TV when their old one breaks. It's either out of warranty or it will cost too much to fix. I bought a smart TV, smart, three years ago, but compared to my Xbox, Apple TV, Roku, and even the boxy box, it's really dumb. The manufacturer provided very little after-sale support for the smart functionality of this TV. And three years later, my Panasonic set has gotten one software update, It's still running the same awful version of the Netflix app as it was when I first turned it on three years ago. In that time, I've seen new enhancements to apps I use on every other box connected to the TV. Sometimes that's a bad thing. Sorry, Xbox. But most of the time with change comes improvement. I don't get that with the smart TV, which to me says it's not very smart. More importantly, if those third-party boxes aren't updated as frequently as I'd like, they cost between, you know, 50 and 100 bucks. My TV costs more than $2,000. If I need to buy something to get new functionality, am I more likely to replace my Apple TV or the TV itself? It's a really easy, simple math question. $50, $2,000. I'm replacing the Apple TV. Apps on your TV are one of those things that don't matter once you purchase the set. You'll try them once, realize they're slow and bad, and the remote's a pain in the ass, and then you'll forget that your TV is even connected to the internet at all. That's, that's why I don't like smart TVs. Smart TVs are dumb. They're still around. People are selling a bunch of them. They're not going away anytime soon. I wish they would. Speaking of things that stop mattering the moment you leave the TV showroom, Manufacturers continue to make increasingly thin TVs and do other silly kind of novelty things that are great at CES but are a bad idea or at least you know kind of middling in the real world. The moment you're basking in your new TV's backlit glory, you really only care about two things, the screen size and the quality of the image. You don't give a damn how thick the TV is. I mean, it it doesn't make any sense. You look at it from the front, you never see the side. It's crazy. The thinner it is, the harder it is to plug stuff in. The next great TV revolution, thickness isn't gonna be from five credit cards thick to three credit card credit card thick or one credit card thick to 7 tenths of a credit card thick. It's going to be getting rid of the expensive pain in the ass monitor mount and moving to a mount that you can stick on the wall with Velcro or glue, or maybe just paint the damn thing on. Get out your roller and put a TV on the wall. That's what I want. And while they're at it, the wire problem. We gotta fix the wire problem, guys. If I'm hanging my TV from the wall and using some post-its, I don't wanna see any dangling cables. I don't wanna see the dangling cables with my $300 monitor mount and I don't wanna drill holes in the wall to run power cables and HDMI. It's a big pain in the ass. Don't don't get rid of the dangling cables. Get rid of them. The good news is if you care about picture quality, everyone is making a big deal about 4K TVs this year. 4K is, is legitimately gonna be a big deal. More resolution is always a good thing, but it's probably not for you yet. The only people who should really be buying 4K sets in 2013 are the very, 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 very wealthy. If you're rich enough that there's no appreciable difference for you between spending 20 grand on a TV set and buying a Big Mac, bust out your Amex Black and go silly. But if you don't own a yacht, a jet, a third home, or like five cars, don't plan on buying a 4K set this year. They're going to be too expensive. And by the time the 4K sets are actually affordable for normal people like you you and me, there'll actually be content available for them in their native resolution. And the much, much cheaper sets that'll be available by then, well, they're going to be demonstrably better than today's very best screens. The best thing you can buy today is going to look like a turd sandwich compared to the cheap set from four years, four years from now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Upscalers are great. They're better than they ever have been before, but no, you don't go buy a 4K TV set this year. And I don't I don't wanna make you sad, but you're probably not gonna buy a 4K set next year either. Think 2015, and, and probably not early 2015, probably late 2015. Don't buy a 4K set. Go look at it in the showroom and be like, oh my God, I can't believe this is gonna be amazing for years from now. Don't buy it. Don't buy a 4K set this year. The good news is streaming content is going to get better this year for uh, like five of you probably. Netflix has announced Netflix HD. What they're promising to do is stream video over the internet in full 1080p resolution. This is an amazing magical content deal that will ultimately be crippled by the fine details. You see, the 1080p streaming only works if your ISP connects to Netflix's CDN, which makes it cheaper and better for them to stream high resolution video to you. The problem is that to date, two ISPs have announced a partnership with Netflix. Cablevision and Google Fiber. This is the first time I'd ever heard of Cablevision. And, and Google Fiber is only available in Missouri someplace. Like most CAS news, it sounds awesome and makes a great press release, but realistically, it's not gonna affect you at all in the real world unless Cablevision or Google Fiber are your ISPs. The other good news is that there actually are some plans for 4K content. Uh, Sony has this thing that they call mastered in 4K resolution, uh, that they're going to start rolling out on Blu-ray discs in 2013. Now this sounds great, right? You and I don't have a 4K set, but I mean, it's nice that the guy with the private jet in the yacht will be able to get a nice 4K copy of whatever movie he wants to see for his expensive ass TV. There's always a catch with these kinds of early announcements that are pre-spec and, and you know, tack onto the last generation, uh, uh hardware discs based format, uh, and, and getting native resolution movies out on a nascent TV spec is just sounds too good to be true, right? If you guessed that they're only gonna release a handful of movies this year and half of them will be crap, you'd be, well, half right. Right now they have five movies planned, five, five movies. So far the movies are The Amazing Spider-Man, Battle Los Angeles, The Other Guys, and then two remakes, Total Recall, the 2012 version with Colin Farrell that I don't think should exist and, and I don't acknowledge, and then The Karate Kid. 2010. I'm gonna skip the obvious jokes. This is not a good list of films. I hear The Amazing spider mans great, but like we just rebooted Spider-Man 12 years ago, 10 years ago. Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, not this new guy. The real catch isn't that the movies are bad and there's not very many of them. The catch is that the movies aren't even in 4K resolution. They're mastered in 4K, but delivered to you when you go to Best Buy and buy them in good old Blu-ray default 1080p. Yeah, 1080p. The the best part of this whole thing is that the guys who sell bleach and dish detergent have a new replacement for HD as an out of context marketing term that makes no sense in the applications it's used for. Just, just, and this is just in the neck of time because HD was really in danger of becoming passe for marketers. So it's good that 4K is stepping in to replace it. I'm a nerd and I barely know what 4K means but I am really looking forward to buying some 4K toothpaste and 4K car wax for my self-driving car next year. 4K is the future. Sony actually does have a 4K streaming service planned, but they don't have many details yet. And it's probably gonna use an app built into the TV, so I'll likely never know that it's there, even if I do go out and get crazy and buy a 4K TV instead of sending my kid to college. So there. Sometimes you just see crazy stuff that makes very little sense at CES. For example, this year Panasonic had a 20-inch 4K resolution Windows 8 tablet. That is a big honkin' tablet. I mean, it's like a it's like a monitor that you can put in your lap and write on. Uh, now it's running Windows 8, and it includes what I'd assume is a pressure-sensitive stylus, and it will likely be ridiculously. If you have to ask, it's too expensive for you. It's going to be really expensive. But but this is going to surprise you. I think this thing is a Brilliant idea. It's a really good idea. It makes perfect sense to me. It's easy to forget because most of us do stuff at work that doesn't really need any kind of special powers or, you know, we don't need a good computer to do work. We just need something that can run Excel and Word and maybe Outlook if you're stuck on that nonsense still. There are people out there though who still need hefty PCs to work on. Those people are using workstations, big giant towers attached to big monitors with big pressure-sensitive tablets, big computers. These people do real work. They're making bridges and photographs and stuff now this particular Panasonic tablet may end up being terrible frankly the initial hands-on reports aren't very good um, but this is this is a really good idea and I hope it sticks with someone it takes advantage of the increase in mobile CPU and GPU performance and higher density LCD panels to cram all the important hardware you'd need in a typical workstation into a machine that well if not exactly thin and light is infinitely more portable than the machines it replaces this is a this is a really good thing. It's a good idea and, and I'm excited about it. I think it's, it's smart and I hope it does well for Panasonic or whoever actually implements it and makes it work right. Speaking of good ideas, the guys at Valve seem to be really full of them these days. Uh, they didn't, there, there wasn't any of Michael Abrash's augmented reality business on display at the show. Unfortunately, hopefully, we'll see that next year. Uh, yeah, I mean, assuming there's a CES next year. But we're finally starting to get concrete details about the company's hardware plans. Guys, the Steam Box is real. It's real. Or maybe it's Steam Boxes, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, early reports said the guys at XI3, or maybe it's, I don't know how to pronounce it, maybe it's Z3, or j 3 or Chai3, or Kai3, or, I'm gonna say XI3 just for simplicity. I don't know how to pronounce anything, more frankly. have taken, well, these guys have taken some funding from Valve, and we're making the Steam Box, or, or like I said, at least a Steam Box. The machine XI-3 is showing at CES, the piston, isn't the Steambox, probably, maybe. We don't really know, but it's at Thao's booth for no reason that we could tell if it's not going to be the Steambox. I know, it's a little thing. It's like the size of a loaf of bread. Now, this is probably a good thing, but I'm still a little worried. Sure, I don't know how to pronounce the company's name, but my larger concern is that the box that may or may not be the Steambox is, well, I don't know how to say this nicely, but underpowered. It's not entirely clear what hardware's inside, but it seems like it probably has one of AMD's souped up better than integrated graphics, but still really integrated graphics APUs. Now, as a guy with a giant gaming PC hooked up to his TV, anything with integrated graphics seems woefully underpowered to play big budget AAA games on Steam. I mean, sure, AMD's CPU-GPU hybrid APUs are still faster and more capable than the Xbox 360, but I don't really know anyone who still plays big budget AAA games on an Xbox. Anyway, Gabe Newell sat down with the guys from The Verge and shed some more light on the subject. Uh, it turns out that there'll likely be a whole ecosystem of Steam boxes, ranging from lightweight streaming boxes, like OnLive, to traditional high-end gaming PCs. Newell said that Valve wants to own the middle ground, uh, not the high-end and not the streaming box, but a machine with a real CPU and GPU that I assume is at a budget price. It sounds kind of like what the Piston could end up being. Now. The question is, how far is Valve willing to go in order to get these machines out there? Are they willing to actually subsidize the machines in order to sell games to people who wouldn't otherwise have access to Steam? Or are they gonna discount the machines if you buy a whole bunch of you know, hypothetical Steam bucks? A mid-range Steam box could be an amazing success at the right price, but at the wrong price, it's sure to be a debacle. And uh, did I mention that the MSRP on the Piston is a thousand bucks? Gotta be cheaper than that, guys. Gotta be cheaper. Uh, did I also mention that Valve is gonna ship their own Steambox with Linux? That's right. If you wanna install Windows on it, of course, you're free to. This is what Gabe says. Uh, but the clear message from Valve was that Gabe doesn't wanna send any more money to Microsoft. And with Linux comes the question of support. A mid range Linux machine really won't be able to run AAA Windows games. Uh, at least, unless Valve has more surprises in store, which you know they may, because they're smart and they have a bunch of money and a whole bunch of really smart people kind of doing whatever the hell they want up there. It sounds like. Uh, anyway, you should read the interview with Gabe over at the Verge. It's great and is uh, full of a lot of inf- interesting information. Now, uh, this isn't really CES news, but it happened this week, and Amazon is is has unveiled something that I think is really clever and and forward thinking and awesome. I can't say enough good stuff about it. Uh, it's called Auto Rip for CDs. Uh, The way it works is if you buy an auto-rip-enabled CD from Amazon, you'll instantly get access to MP3s of the tracks on that CD in your Amazon Cloud Player. They're 256 kilobit per second tracks. There's only about 50,000 auto-rip CDs in the catalog right now, but I'm guessing that they'll be adding more constantly. Uh, The real beauty here is that if you've bought any CDs from Amazon, not marketplace vendors, since 1998 when their CD store opened, there's a decent chance that it's in your cloud player today. This is really the way all digital lockers should work. Uh, Amazon, I'm ready for Kindle versions of all the books I've bought from you since the 90s, and uh, especially the ones that I donated to the San Francisco Public Library last month. Uh, yeah, don't. So Norm's favorite product from CS so far is the Oculus Rift virtual reality goggles. Stop, stop laughing. I tried them at PAX last fall and I was blown away. And, th- and that's when I had to take my glasses off and I could really barely see what was going on. since, I, since they wouldn't fit underneath the goggles. Now the thing that's interesting about the goggles is that they, they sit very close to your eye and they have a lens that makes the image seem to fill your entire field of vision. So instead of looking at like a, a 20-foot screen 80 feet away, or an 80-foot screen 10 feet away, or see so some, something that's a really long way away and hard to figure out, uh, it looks like the image is it, it looks like you're looking at the, a world. Around you, and you can look up and down and left and right. There's motion tracking, and all sorts of stuff like that. Now, we still don't know a ton about Oculus's support for you know actual video games. Uh, but the version of the goggles that you'll want uh, with a high-resolution screen uh, probably won't be out until 2014, anyway. So that's okay. Um, now, this might sound like bad news to you, but in reality, it's probably a good thing. Uh, you, you see, the goggles won't do anything for you unless there's support for them in games. The really good news for me, at least is that the dev kit version of the Oculus that was a pre-order on Kickstarter last year will be out in a few months. So I'll have mine uh, real soon. Now they're low resolution screen all that, but it's virtual reality goggles. Uh, other stuff that I really thought was cool from CES this year, Lego was at CES and they introduced the third generation Mindstorms. At least I think they're third generation. It's kind of hard to keep track of that stuff. Uh, the big change here is that you can control them with your iPad, iPhone, Android devices, all that stuff. I'm ready to pre order. I mean, give it to me right now. A couple other cool things the Mondo Spider, which you may recall from the first Maker Faire we went to a few years ago, right after tested launched, launched, was actually at the Lenovo booth. I, I don't have any idea why the Mondo Spider was at the Lenovo booth, uh, but the Mondo Spider is super cool, and I'm incredibly jealous that Norm got to drive it. I think there's going to be video of that on the site uh, at some point in the future, too, if it's not already up. Now, I'm almost done talking about CES this year, but I haven't talked about personal fitness tech, which is a huge deal at CES. Uh, Personal activity sensors like the Fitbit and Nike Fuel Band helped me understand what the amount of exercise I'm willing to do on a daily basis burns calorie-wise. It's roughly one M&M worth of calories. So, you know, this is a useful thing for me. The good news, if you're interested in this sort of thing, is that every company that makes anything electronic is gonna release one of these things next year, and they're getting cheaper every day. So you can get something that'll fit in your jeans pocket for like five bucks, 25 bucks, something like that. I don't know. However, in this personal fitness category is also the dumbest thing I think I've ever seen at CES. Just, it's a smart fork, but it doesn't seem very smart. You see, just putting the word smart in front of a product name, doesn't make something smart. It doesn't work for smart TV, it's not working for the smart fork business. The way the smart forks is, works is simple. If you're eating too quickly or if your bites are too big, the fork vibrates or something. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know. Look at me, I'm a dude who's had his fair share of weight problems and I can tell you the secret of losing weight isn't to have a smart fork that vibrates when you're eating too fast. You don't need to spend 100 bucks to know the secret. The secret, the problem, the, the reason you're getting weight is that you're eating too damn much once I figured that out, it got easy. Just eat less and you lose weight faster. It's, it's, Yeah, that's all there is to it. Now, if the fork could tell me that a donut was worse for me than some lettuce or cucumber or something like that, it would be super smart, but this thing doesn't do that. And that's why I think it's the stupidest idea I've ever seen at CES. Now, uh, that's it for CES. We'll be back next week with another regular episode of This Is Only a Test. Remember, new episodes of Still Untitled are showing up on a separate feed now, so if you want them, you got to go to iTunes or go to the page on Tested. uh, and and subscribe to the Still Untitled feed. This week, Adam and I talked about learning new skills. It was really interesting. People liked it. You should check it out. And as always, if you like the show, write us a review, leave us some feedback, uh, rate us on iTunes. All that stuff helps a ton. Uh, Until next week, I'm Will Smith. We'll see you guys later. And I hope you enjoyed this very special episode of This Is Only a Test. Oh, today's outro is brought to you by Evil Max 17. Uh, It seems like it's probably, uh, well... You're not safe for children, based on that title. Ah, hi there, I didn't see you. Tested. Uh, if you wanted to watch a movie about a bag full of cocks, what would you watch? Uh, what? That's it. See you guys next week.